My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories, sad stories, and what on earth just happened to stories. As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school and a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. Now it's time to catch up with Joseph, Rachel's older son. Now remember, she also had Benjamin before she passed away, but at this point, Benjamin and Joseph have a significant age gap, so we're pretty much going to talk about Joseph exclusively this episode. He gets into a lot of trouble, not entirely through his own fault, but the first bit of trouble he gets into was definitely his fault. At the age of 17, Joseph tattles on several of his brothers to their father, and as we all know, no one likes a narc, but even more significantly, Joseph has some dreams. He dreams of sheaves of wheat and the sun and the moon and the stars, and all of them are bowing to him, and he has the gall to tell his family about it. He tells them that the sheaves of wheat represent his brothers, that the stars represent his brothers in these dreams, and the sun and the moon are his parents, and that everyone bows to him. Like, who says these things? He's definitely the baby of the family and also the oldest son of Jacob's favorite, now dead, wife. So, I mean, Joseph is not in a great position to be talking about how he's going to rule over the family. Like, this isn't even Jacob, who was the second born kind of situation. Joseph is number 11. 11. And he's sitting here telling his brothers that he's had these dreams about how he's going to rule over the whole family. and They're all going to bow to him. This does not thrill his brothers. It also doesn't thrill his brothers when Jacob, their father, gives Joseph what is called a coat of many colors. You've probably heard about that. There's even a whole Broadway musical called Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. However, uh, we don't exactly know what that means. It was possibly striped, probably woven, definitely fancy. The long and short of it is not only is Joseph definitely their father's favorite, but Joseph is a little prig about it, and uh, his brothers aren't amused. In fact, they can barely look at him. He's just obnoxious and terrible. Jacob shows him constant favoritism, and even when he spouts off about this whole bowing thing, he doesn't seem to really take Joseph in hand. To be fair, Jacob doesn't really take any of his sons in hand, but I mean, come on. Joseph is 17, and he's an idiot. Jacob normally, we assume, keeps Joseph close by, but when all of the other brothers were out shepherding near Shechem, Jacob sends Joseph to go check up on them. You know, A totally normal thing to do, to send the youngest to check up on how the older ones are behaving. He doesn't find them near Shechem, and he does find them near Dothan. But they can see him coming from a long way off, and they decide that they are going to kill him. You know, because he's obnoxious. Reuben points out that they don't necessarily need to go that far. They don't have to kill him outright. They can throw him in an empty, dry well. It would kill two birds with one stone. They would be able to terrify Joseph, and they wouldn't actually, you know, have to kill him and have blood on their hands. Reuben, at this point, is planning on secretly retrieving Joseph from aforementioned dry well and uh, returning him to Jacob later, but he knows that he can't convince his brothers to not do anything stupid, so he tries to negotiate them down from outright murder. Well, the brothers do, in fact, capture Joseph, take off his coat of many colors, and throw him into the cistern, where they leave him, trying to decide what to do with him. Before Reuben can get back, a surprisingly convenient slave caravan comes by, and the other brothers come up with a plan. They're going to sell Joseph into slavery. It's like killing him, but they don't actually have his blood on their hands. How convenient? They sell Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. Not an insignificant amount of money, but definitely blood money. And when Reuben finds out what they've done, he is pissed. How are they supposed to explain this to Jacob? Not only have they sold Joseph into slavery, where they will never see him again, but he is, for all intents and purposes, dead to the family anyway. They might as well have just killed him. That ends up being their strategy to get away with this. 
They take the coat of many colors and shred it a bit. Then they kill a lamb and spread its blood all over the robe and go to Jacob and tell him that Joseph was torn apart by wolves and that they were unable to save him. All that was left was his coat of many colors. Jacob is heartbroken, devastated. The light inside him has practically died. And in a single day, Joseph goes from being the favorite son of his father to a nobody taken to a country whose language he doesn't speak, whose people he doesn't know, whose gods he doesn't follow. Once he gets to Egypt, Joseph is sold to Potiphar, captain of the garden pharaoh's household, a really pretty important Egyptian. And uh, Potiphar finds Joseph to be incredibly impressive. The more responsibility Potiphar gives Joseph, the more things end up working out nicely. So basically, Potiphar doesn't even have to run his house. He can just turn it over to Joseph, and Joseph manages it. See, while he was Jacob's favorite, it wasn't like it was totally undeserved. Turns out, Joseph is really, really, really competent. And Joseph gets stuff done. The one thing Joseph does not get done is Potiphar's wife. She finds Joseph to be incredibly steaming hot. She is into it, this little cougar, and she tries to seduce Joseph over and over and over again. Joseph is in a bad position. He can't exactly turn her down flat, but that's exactly what he's doing. He keeps telling her over and over, just because he runs the house doesn't mean he's willing to sleep with Potiphar's wife. It would be totally wrong. His master has given him so much trust. He's not going to betray it. He's not going to touch someone that doesn't belong to him. But eventually, she finds him alone. Joseph is working on his household chores, and there's no one in sight. She grabs Joseph by the cloak and tells him, commands him, to sleep with her. Joseph doesn't have much option. He tears himself away from her, tearing his clothes and losing his shirt in the process, and runs. He didn't grab his shoes and nothing, Jesus. He ran for his life. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife still has his shirt. And now Potiphar's wife has a plan. She wants revenge on Joseph for turning down her sexual advances, but also it wouldn't be good for her if it came out that she had been trying to cougar seduce Joseph into bed. Keep in mind that often when we talk about he said, she saids, we're talking primarily about gender dynamics. Or more specifically, we're talking about power dynamics within the context of the gender frame. However, in this story, we have a slave and a master situation. We have something where the power dynamics are a little bit different than they would normally be. More importantly, Potiphar's wife not only holds all the power, but she's still a woman. And that means that it's more likely, statistically speaking, that Joseph had gone after her rather than she had gone after Joseph. This is not good for Joseph because he has absolutely no way of testifying in his own defense. So she screams, and when everyone comes running, says that Joseph had tried to rape her. It's definitely his word against hers, and there is no way anybody is believing that she was trying to scheme him. More importantly, even if they suspected that she had been coming on to Joseph and that Joseph had done the right thing, what were they going to say? After all, it wouldn't look good for Potiphar if his wife was trying to sleep with the young hot slave that they'd bought. Potiphar had no choice but to have Joseph thrown in prison. Joseph in prison did about as well as Joseph in Potiphar's household, i.e. he did very, very well. Joseph slowly made friends with the prison warden and became that person that you kind of want around because they help manage everything. If you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, think that. Joseph was kind of running the prison within reason because they knew that anything that they told Joseph to get done would get done. He was a great manager and a great leader. After some time had passed, two people in the prison were real grouchy, and Joseph's like, hey, what's up? Turns out they had both been members of the king's household. One of them was his baker, and one of them had been his cupbearer. They'd both had horrifying dreams that they couldn't make sense of. The long and short of it is that the cupbearer dreamed he squeezed out grapes from three different vines into a cup and got to serve it to his master. The baker dreamed that he had a basket on his head with three loaves in it, and when he tried to carry it out of the field... Birds came and attacked him, both eating the loaves and then eating him, horrifically. They attacked and killed him. Birds are scary, y'all. They're basically flying dinosaurs with feathers. And it turns out regular dinosaurs might have very well had feathers anyway. 
Joseph was able to interpret both of their dreams, and it was a clear-cut case of good news and different news. The cupbearer got the good news. Within three days, represented by the three vines, he would get to return to his job as the cupbearer for Pharaoh. The baker, on the other hand, would be hung for treason within three days, i.e. the symbology of the birds. Lo and behold, three days later, Pharaoh did in fact set his cupbearer free and did in fact kill his baker for treason. Meanwhile, the cupbearer got to resume his job as cupbearer for Pharaoh, a very important and very influential position within the court. When the cupbearer was set free, Joseph was like, please remember me and please tell Pharaoh about me so I can get out of prison because he had absolutely no hope of getting out of prison any other way. And the cupbearer was like, yeah, absolutely. I will totally remember, you know, because you gave me this amazing interpretation and I have my whole life back. The cupbearer returned to Pharaoh's court and immediately... Forgot about Joseph for two years. <laughs> he said nothing to Pharaoh then, and didn't say anything to Pharaoh until Pharaoh started having bad dreams. Pharaoh's dreams went something like this. He saw seven cows come out of the Nile. Seven beautiful, plump, awesome cows. Just incredible. And they were feeding on the grass. And then, behold, seven ugly, skinny, emaciated diseased cows came and cannibalized the healthy cows but at the end of it they were no healthier they didn't gain weight they were just there devastating he also had a dream about seven healthy heads of wheat being choked out by seven diseased ones that didn't seem to do any better just because they'd stolen the land from the good ones well the cupbearer apologized profusely for not mentioning sooner that he knew a very, very good dream interpreter who he had met back in prison and also was sorry because he was supposed to tell Pharaoh about Joseph years ago. Because cupbearers were so trusted by the royals that they bore cups for, Pharaoh immediately summoned Joseph. Joseph takes a bath and ends up before Pharaoh. However, when Pharaoh asks Joseph if he can interpret dreams, Joseph says the most bizarre thing ever. No, I can't, but God can, and I bet if you tell me your dreams, God will tell me the interpretation for them. Pharaoh finds this very charming and ends up launching into what his dreams were. Joseph immediately understands what they mean, and it's not great. God has sent these dreams to Pharaoh to tell him what he is about to do as a warning, because there are going to be seven years of terrible, horrific famine in the land of Egypt, preceded by seven years of plenty, abundance like no one had ever seen. However, again, famine for seven years, and Joseph tells Pharaoh that the fact that he had the dream more than once means that this is absolutely set in stone by God. There is no way to avoid it. All they can do is prepare for it. Joseph also immediately suggests a solution. Pharaoh should appoint someone, some good person who's great at management perhaps, over the land of Egypt, and that he should collect one-fifth of all of the crops harvested during the seven years of plenty. This solution will leave Egypt with plenty of grain and crops so that once this famine does hit, they'll have a stockpile and they won't all, you know, die. Joseph had not been asked for his opinion, but Pharaoh kind of appreciated it. And the fact that Joseph had suggested that someone be appointed to this job, that Pharaoh not have to oversee it himself, apparently made a good impression because Pharaoh's like, huh, I bet I should appoint a wise person who's discerning and trustworthy into this position. In fact, you, I pick you. Joseph, you are now the second most powerful person in the nation of Egypt. To be clear, at this point in history, Egypt was the most powerful single nation on earth. And Joseph is now the second most powerful person. The only person in Egypt who outranks him is Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh gives Joseph a new Egyptian name, Zafnath Panea, and gives Joseph a wife, the daughter of the priest of On. It has been 13 years since Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. At the age of 17, he became a slave. And by the time he was 30, he was the second most powerful man in Egypt. Before he was 37, you know, when the famine would hit, Joseph also had two sons, who he named Ephraim and Manasseh. Both definitely Hebrew names. 
he named them those things because basically they mean that God had made the past irrelevant, that Joseph felt like he was going to live out his days in Egypt, far away from his family, never to see them again, but understanding that his life had actually turned out pretty okay, that God was looking out for him, and that despite his brother's plans, they weren't able to make Joseph less the favorite. They thought that they could get rid of him by selling him into slavery, you know, because they were jealous that he was their father's favorite. Turns out Joseph had been Potiphar's favorite, and then the prison warden's favorite, and now Pharaoh's favorite. He's just, you know, the favorite. Joseph was wrong about one thing, though. He wasn't quite done with his brothers. In fact, next episode, we're going to find out what happens when family meets famine. Stay tuned for that as we wrap up the book of Genesis. Genesis.